You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Father, use me as your instrument now, but do not forsake me. For if ever you should leave me, I would easily wreck it all. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, hello, 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 says Brandon Bennett, who just recently got back from England. So I thought I would give you a proper English greeting that no one actually uses. Then you'd say, hello, mate, how's it going? And of course, we'd go back and forth till we finished our conversation. So a few weeks ago, I was able to go to England to visit my housemate who's been over there for the whole semester on sabbatical. And of course, as you're traveling around Oxford and London and the South Coast, you can't help but get excited and want to share that on Instagram. Not to make anyone jealous, really, but just to share my voracious enthusiasm for England with everyone back here in the States. Um, And by the way, let's get this out of the way right now for you soccer fans. Since the U.S. didn't qualify for the World Cup, I have decided to give my allegiance to to England. Um, But at any rate, after one of my Instagram posts, one of my friends uh, messaged me and said, what are you doing in England other than trying to make all of us over here envious? And when I read the message, I stopped and thought to myself, well now, She thinks as she's seeing my post that my life is all put together as I'm traveling the world and everything is great in Brandon's life. Um, But if only she could peel back the layers and see what's going on really inside, um, well, then she wouldn't be so envious after all. And I'm saying this to make this point. Things on the surface may look nice and fun, but if we're all honest with ourselves, things aren't all bright and sunny on the inside. Perhaps some of you are facing stress in your marriage right now. Perhaps some of you are worried that this month you are not going to be able to pay the bills. Maybe you feel burned by the church, or maybe you feel um, like someone has let you down. Maybe you've let down someone else, or maybe you just have um, this sense of shame and failure um, that you just can't shake. Something is going on on the inside. We Americans like to be optimistic, but to be honest, we are all dealing with something down on the inside. The shop windows may look nice, but what's actually going on in the stock room? And the reason I know all of you are feeling this way is because I myself am feeling this way. We're all lonely or something is nagging at us, But the core of the Christian faith, what we call the gospel, this message gives you and me a freedom to deal with that brokenness, that loneliness, that failure, the sin, the shame. It gives us the freedom to deal with that brokenness on the inside because it tells us of the story of God's one-way love for us sinners. It sets us free from having to present a put-together self before the world and to admit we're messed up. Now, when you and I are in crisis mode, when some, when some something 
from the outside comes to us um, and tempts us when we're feeling suffering, um, some, some event happens in our life. The temptation comes to us and it tempts us to, with our pain, to look to other saviors to rescue us. Suffering is sort of like a thermometer. It, it reads our fever, it reads the temperature. When some event happens, maybe you lose your job, it acts as a test case for you and shows where your ultimate trust is. What happens when that one thing is removed, that one thing that holds you together, that keeps you glued together, what happens when it's removed? Where is your hope ultimately found? That's what these events on the outside help expose. Now, on the way down in a few minutes when I'm descending from the pulpit, there's a table right here and there's wine in there. Um, and if I were to bump into the table, uh, wine would probably spill out. And what that is doing, this outside event, it's actually helping expose that there's wine on the inside. Suffering is kind of like this. It's like a spiritual MRI. It shows what's going on inside. Let me be clear, I'm not saying that we should seek out suffering. I'm not making light of your suffering. As Christians, we know that suffering is not how God intended this world to be. But between the pain in our lives and these events that come at us, we might be tempted to place our trust in other would-be saviors. And this is what the Bible refers to as idolatry. Now, last week, we started a preaching series in Hebrews, and Matt started us off in chapter 1. He gave us some background material and introduced to us some of the themes of Hebrews. And one of the dominant themes of Hebrews, it's this recurring theme that you'll often notice. It's, an, it's always calling us to continue trusting in Jesus. Even in light of suffering, Christians, hang on to Jesus. Have confidence in him. In fact, we heard that just a little bit ago today. Verse 1 of our Hebrews 2 reading says this, and this is why it says this. Therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. So if you were to go home and read through Hebrews to study it on your own, and I encourage every one of you in this room to do that, you'll notice that there's a constant emphasis on keeping your eyes on Jesus. Continue to place your confidence there in him alone. It seems that Hebrews, Hebrews is a letter, and it seems that Hebrews was written by a member of a church community who moved away. And since he's moved away, he's gotten word that um, the Christians there in that community have suffered. And um, though they have been hanging on for a while, they've actually started to, some of them have started to lose the faith. They're starting to put their trust elsewhere. Some of them are starting to even convert back to Judaism or some form of it. And in chapter 10, if you were to read on that far, there's some comments about how these Christians in um, this church have struggled. They were publicly shamed. They were imprisoned. They were persecuted. But now this author of Hebrews has heard that they have begun to give up. And so what does he do? He puts Jesus on full display to this church. He puts Jesus in all his majesty and glory and says, look to him alone. 
On the one hand, Hebrews is a really complex and sophisticated letter. But on the other hand, it's actually really simple. Like the whole message of the Bible, it's calling us to do this one thing. Repent and believe in Jesus. Repent and trust in Jesus. It's placing Jesus before our very eyes. The author to the Hebrews is painting a portrait, and it's saying, look here. Look to him. It's like me pointing to that stained glass over there. Hebrews is pointing always to Jesus, putting him on full display and saying, look at him. Don't give up looking and trusting in him. So let me summarize for you what I see as the main thrust of what we've seen so far, Hebrews 1 and 2, and we're going to continue to see this in Hebrews. Hebrews is saying, see this Jesus, look to him. Hear this word from God, namely Jesus, listen to him. See this one who is now crowned with glory and honor honor because of his suffering on your behalf, Trust in Him. Place your confidence there in Him. Now, if you have a bulletin with you, go ahead and open it up so that we can read just a few verses again. I want to start at verse 14. And remember that whoever you are and whatever you are facing this evening right now, the message of Hebrews is saying to you, Jesus is able. Trust in Him. So let's start at the last paragraph there in um, our bulletin. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. A very central element of Hebrews a very central element of Christianity is being a disciple of Jesus. Of A central element of living the Christian life is this dynamic that we call repentance and faith. What's so good, actually, about our Anglican liturgy is that it shapes us each week by taking us through the patterns of repentance and faith so that it builds this dynamic, this engine in us of repentance and faith. And it actually teaches us that it's life-giving. Some of you, when you hear the word repentance, you might think of it as something you do when things are only bad or when you've done something wrong. But that's not what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Do any of you know um, the first thesis of Martin Luther's 95 Theses? The document that Luther is um, supposed to have nailed to that church door that set off the Reformation? Luther said this, when our Lord and Master said repent, he willed that all of life should be repentance. So basically what Luther was saying was this, hey, repentance isn't just what you do when you want to get into Christianity. Repentance isn't what you do just when you feel like you've done something wrong. 
No, in fact, it's the machinery built inside of you that you do each and every day as a Christian. In fact, growing as a Christian means recognizing that repentance is actually life-giving to you. It's joyful. Why? Because it's acknowledging that we all have idols that have gripped our hearts, and it's reminding us to look to Jesus once again. And I know that some of you, maybe you've been burned by the church or... um, maybe some bad message that you heard in church once. You might be concerned about this talk of repentance. Maybe you think it's sort of um, heavy-handed and it's there to make your, yourself feel guilty unnecessarily. Maybe you think it's something you have to say to get into God's good graces. But that's not Christianity. If you were to say that to me, if you were to think of repentance that way, I would just ask you this. What would you say is the basis of your relationship with God? What is the basis of your relationship with God? Is it your moral performance? Is it your charitable giving? Is it your religious activity? Is it the kind words that you say to get into God's good graces? No. It's like the song that Zach often leads us in. What what do we sing? Your loving kindness leads us to what? Repentance. Why? Because when you recognize the basis of your standing with God is not your performance, but God's performance for you, it frees you to, ad- to be humble and admit your failings. And then you can say, because I'm already loved and accepted in Jesus because of Jesus' finished work, I'm now free to admit that I'm a mess, and I can be humble enough to say, I need help. You're free to say, yeah, I've begun to trust in other saviors. I've begun to trust in idols but I need to repent of that. Remember, the gospel is the good news of what God has done for you, not good advice for what you can do for God. And this gospel, this freeing power of the gospel, this free message of grace, it frees us here in this room to be a repentant people, recognizing that all the time we are prone to look to other saviors instead of the living God who alone can give us life and satisfaction. What we've been talking about here in Hebrews is how Hebrews is calling you and me to repent and believe. Repent and believe in Jesus. But how does that fit with this grand, glorious display of who Jesus is, what we just read about a few minutes ago? Remember, Hebrews is reminding you and me of the glory and grace of our Savior, who he is and what he has come to do, and it's calling you and me right now to place our trust in him and in him alone. It does this because Hebrews, along with the whole Bible, recognizes that our hearts are always bent inward and always prone to idolatry always prone to trust in something else. There was a tweet earlier this week from the former editor of uh, Christianity Today, and she said this, you can sniff out an idol when they promise to give you something that only God can give. And we have a lot of things coming at us, calling us to trust in them when actually only God can give us that thing. Luther, in his large catechism, I know I've already mentioned him once, so I'm going to go for it again. In his large catechism, he's teaching on the first commandment, which says, you shall have no other gods before me. Luther asks, 
what is a God and what does it mean to have a God? And his answer is interesting. He says this, whatever you set your heart in, set, set your heart on, excuse me, that is your God. Whatever you ultimately place your trust in, whatever you ultimately place your confidence in, that in fact is your God. And if Luther is right, this is really interesting because it means that all of us in this room, whether we're Christian or non-Christian, whether we're atheist or agnostic or Christian or whatever other religion you might claim, all of us in this room are religious and we have some form of God that we're serving. Something calling us to place our trust in it. And the question is, is your trust in the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ? Is it in Jesus or is it in an idol? Something that can ultimately not provide for you. Now here's where all this ties together. Hebrews was written for people who are suffering. They have been suffering, and they are now so tempted to look elsewhere to provide them with security and strength to carry on. They have been dealing with pain and loss, and you and I in this room, each and every one of us, whether we like to admit it or not, we have something going on on the inside, and we are dealing with some form of pain. And the question for you and for me is right now, what are you going to do with that pain? And crises and tragic events that come to us, forms of suffering, they come in and expose where our trust actually is. And they have a way of shining a spotlight on our heart and showing us where our hope is. So what happens to you when the crutches are removed from out from underneath you? What happens? What happens? Where is your heart? Where is your trust? You like to be live. Uh, you, you, excuse me. You like to be um, liked by others. You like for approval. What happens when that's gone? You live for wealth. What happens when your retirement is gone? What happens when the thing that you are hoping in is gone? Some people are dominated by a need for control and certainty. Some people are dominated by a need to be affirmed and approved. Some people, even in this room, may idolize a relationship and you think, I'm single and if only I could get a relationship, then I will be complete. And ultimately what's going to happen is they will find out that that person cannot bear the weight that they are trying to place on them and it is a setup for failure because it is an idol. And we do the same thing again and again and again with money, sex, power, affirmation, these are idols and instances of suffering and tragic events in our lives. They expose what's going on on the inside. There's a story I just heard about a woman who grew up in church, and she was really turned off when she was younger by all she described it as hypocrisy, but she was turned off by church because of what she saw going on there. And so she ultimately left the church and she became an atheist, and she wanted to hear no more talk about God or Jesus. And she kind of went off on what the um, Amish call a rumspringa. She looked to partying and alcohol and drugs and sex to, to provide security and safety and satisfaction for her. But before too long, the addiction to alcohol began to show to other people. 
But she still kept her life together, so she got a job, and she found a man, and she married him. Um, and so things were looking okay. They were still in check. Um, but then they had a child. And when they had a child, everything came loose. Because when, it, when her child came along, she no longer had the job and the busyness that kept her alcoholic addiction in place. And so she went on this downward spiral. And when that happened, her family decided to put her in a treatment center. And there in the treatment center, she opened up the drawer where she thought she would find um, a Vogue magazine or something, but instead she found a Gideon Bible. And she said that she opened the Bible to Luke 7 where she read about Jesus' encounter with a Pharisee and a prostitute. Now the Pharisee in this story couldn't believe that Jesus was letting someone like a prostitute touch him. So Jesus tells a story to the Pharisee. He tells a story about two debtors. Both ha one has a small debt, the other has a huge debt that cannot be forgiven. But the moneylender ultimately forgives both of them, and the moneylender asks, or excuse me, Jesus asks uh, the Pharisee, well, which one do you think is more appreciative? And the Pharisee responds, well, of course, the one who has had much forgiven, the one with the massive amount of debt. And when the woman read this story, she realized that she was the woman in that story. She realized when she heard the news about the staggering forgiveness of God in Jesus Christ, she knew immediately that she was the woman, and there on the spot she repented and she believed. She realized that God had come to rescue her of her sin and idolatry and to free her of that. You see, like what's happening in Hebrews right now, the woman saw the portrait of Jesus, and there she repented and believed in him and looked to him alone. She saw her idols for what they were, emptiness. Nothing could not provide for her. All of us in this room have hard realities that we are facing in this life. Whether you right now are on cloud nine and feeling successful, or whether you are in a low spot, but when something comes your way, you will be tempted, you and I will be tempted to trust in another savior, and in so doing, commit idolatry. This is because you and I are under the power of sin, death, and the devil. The devil is like a roaring lion seeking to kill and devour you and to destroy your joy. You and I on our own serve a great Lord, the Lord of all that is. Hebrews 2 calls this Lord the devil, and he has the power of death. But there is still a greater Lord. It is Jesus the Christ, the one who has come down now to deal with your sin, shame, and to ultimately destroy the one who has the power of death, namely the devil. Jesus the Christ has come now down to set you free from your sin, your shame, and your idolatry. My friends, Jesus is able. Repent and believe in this Jesus. Listen to him. Place your confidence there in him. That is the message of Hebrews 2. Let's pray. Our Father, we pray now that you would 
by your spirit, shine a spotlight on those places of our life and our heart that continue to trust in other would-be saviors. And so we pray, Lord, that you would show us Jesus, direct our eyes to him, direct our confidence to him. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.